This is God's inspired word through the Apostle Paul. Keep in mind, this is the last chapter Paul wrote. He is in prison. He's facing death. And so these words take on extra import as he conveys them to Timothy, his young disciple. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know, in practicing for a relay race, uh, the runners work really hard at the handoff because they've got a little window there where the one guy hands the baton to the other guy, and if they drop it during the race, the race is over. They're disqualified at that point. Uh, Today, I'm handing off the pastoral baton here to um, Pastor Dave Barry, who just prayed for us. Maybe some of you were here May 31st, 1992, when I first began. How many of you were here then? A few of you. You get extra rewards in heaven, okay, (laughs) for hanging in this long. Uh, It's amazing. I'm not sure I would have done that, but you did it. But I preached from the text I'm going to speak on today, and then... I couldn't quite figure out why, but I repeated the same sermon on March 15, 1998. Uh, Maybe I was sick that week and had to come up with a sermon. I don't remember why I did it again then. And then I did it again a third time on January 21, 2007, when I was uh, teaching through 2 Timothy. So if you've already heard it three times, then you get even a greater reward in heaven someday. Um... Paul's words here, though, are really of utmost importance for our day because I get emails all the time from people in other cities. Some of them used to come here. Some of them get my sermons online or whatever, and they say, you know, we've tried every church in our city, and some of them are in big cities, and we cannot find a church that teaches God's Word. And there is really a famine of the Word of God in our land. And so I want you to understand, maybe for the fourth time, if you've been here that long, why I have emphasized expository Bible teaching and preaching, and why I'm handing that baton to Dave, and I know he's going to continue it in the years ahead. Dr. J.I. Packer, in his book, A Quest for Godliness, that's one of the books I think I've read more than any other book. I've read it four times now by taking young men through it um, a number of times. 
It's a great book. But he said this, We shall never perform a more important task than preaching. If we're not willing to give time to sermon preparation, we are not fit to preach and have no business in the ministry at all. He argues that the well-being of the church today depends in large measure on a revival of preaching in the Puritan vein. And he explains to the Puritan, faithful preaching was the basic ingredient in faithful pastoring. And I agree that biblical preaching is the pastor's primary task. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, you know, you're saying that because you're a preacher. Of course, you know, preaching's important to you. But I'm not saying that just because I'm a preacher. I'm saying that preaching is important because God's inspired word says that it's important in our text here. Now, as I said, this text is Paul's final charge to Timothy just before his execution, Paul's execution. And he senses, as he says in verse 6, that the time of his departure has come. He knows he can't last much longer. He's going to be executed. And so he's handing the baton off to his younger understudy, Timothy, his uh, dear son in the faith. He realized that Satan would relentlessly attack the Word of God because he does that in every generation, in every place. He's done it during the 42 years I've been a pastor. And having just emphasized in chapter 3, sometimes the chapter breaks are unfortunate, and this is one of those places, because at the end of chapter 3, Paul has emphasized the trustworthy nature of Scripture. He has emphasized its vital importance for salvation and sanctification. And now he urges Timothy and every pastor after Timothy to be faithful to preach God's Word, no matter what the opposition or hardship. But preaching is a two-way street. You can preach, but if people have their ears stopped up, it ain't going anywhere. And so, I can preach, Dave can preach, godly men can preach the Word, but God's people have to pray, Lord, give me ears to hear. I want to listen obediently to Your Word, And so the words here are a charge to all believers to listen to biblical preaching with a view to obedience. And so the idea of our text is that preaching and obediently hearing God's word are of utmost importance in view of eternity. You know, if Paul had said, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, preach the word, That would have been a very strong exhortation. If he had said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, Timothy, preach the word. Whoa, it just went up a few notches as a very strong exhortation. If he had said, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, preach the word. We're off the charts with an important exhortation. But look what he says, verses 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, 
and by his appearing and his kingdom preach the word. I don't know how he could have raised the stakes any higher than he is doing here. It's like <clears throat> if you've ever been in boot camp, you've watched, maybe you've been the uh, recipient of the drill instructor grabbing you by the lapels, bringing you up about six inches in front of his face as if you couldn't hear, and then he shouts in your voice, you know, I said, and he gives you the command. He's saying, Timothy, preach God's word. Above all, Timothy, preach the word. And he gives five commands in verse 2, and then four more in verse 5. In verses 1 and 2, Paul is showing why preaching God's word is of utmost importance. Then in verses 3 and 4, he shows why obediently hearing God's word is important. And then in verse 5, because he knows there will be inevitable opposition to the preaching of the word, he shows why a faithful pastor must persevere in preaching the word. First of all, in verses 1 and 2 then, he shows that preaching the word is of utmost importance because of Christ's coming judgment and kingdom. And he answers four questions here. First of all, why preach the word? Secondly, what do you preach? Thirdly, when do you preach it? And fourthly, how to preach it? So first of all, why preach God's word? And Paul answers that question. Preach the word because Christ Jesus is coming to judge everyone and to establish his kingdom. The word solemnly charge is a legal term. It's used in a court of law for taking an oath before the judge. I solemnly swear to tell the truth and so on. Uh, they had those back in Paul's day. And so Paul is calling Timothy before God's judicial bench and charging him, do you sw solemnly swear to preach God's word um, before Christ Jesus who is coming and who will judge all and reign over all. That verb is, Christ Jesus who is to judge, is literally is about to. And it implies a sense of urgency. The day is soon coming. We don't know the day or the hour, but we know the signs of the times. The day is soon coming when Jesus Christ will return in power and glory. The first time Christ came, he came as the suffering Savior to bear our sins on the cross. And if you've never come to the cross of Jesus Christ as a sinner with repentance and asking him for forgiveness and faith, you are lost. You are under God's just condemnation. I don't care how good of a person you are, you are not good enough by your works to get into heaven. Christ came to solve that problem. He bore the wrath and offers to us a full pardon. And when we trust Christ, our sin is imputed to Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. Here's the bad news. If you haven't done that, the second time he comes, you're in for judgment. And it isn't going to be pretty. He's coming the second time to defeat all rebellion. And Paul says he will judge the living and the dead. I think that includes most of us. 
Maybe some of you are kind of hovering halfway uh, this morning. It's a little warm in here maybe, but uh, he's going to judge the living and he's going to judge the dead, everyone. And as believers in Christ, we will not face condemnation, thank God, but yet Paul says we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed for what we've done with our lives. And that means you've got to take your life seriously in light of eternity. Because one day you will stand, as I will, before the Lord, the sovereign judge, to give an account of your life. And the Word of God tells us how to live in a manner pleasing to the Lord. And so preaching is important because judgment is ahead. And when you preach the Word, you're calling lost sinners to repentance, but you're also building up the saints, helping them to live lives pleasing to God. So, um, Paul says, Christ will then appear and he will set up his kingdom, which means he will reign over all. That word appear was used in extra-biblical Greek to talk about the emperors visiting a province or a city. And when the emperor came to visit, they would do a city cleanup pick up all the garbage, uh, clean, I don't know if they had graffiti, but they would clean all the buildings, they would make the road, fix the potholes, make everything look spiffy, because the emperor is coming. Um, during his presidency, if you were alive then, uh, Jimmy Carter liked to relate to the average person, and so sometimes he would go and spend the night in the home of an average citizen. I guarantee you that if you were told that the president was coming to visit and spend the night with you this week, there would be some serious house cleaning going on in all of our homes this week. Uh, even if you don't like the man, you would be ready for his coming thinking, oh, the president is coming to visit. Man, get this place in order. And that's the idea of this. Someone far greater than any world leader all the world leaders put together is coming. Is your life ready? Is it clean? That's the job of preaching, is to help the people of God and even those who don't know God come before the living God and get their lives right so that when the trump sounds, the dead are raised, we who are alive in Christ will uh, be raised up in the air to meet Him and we will always be with the Lord. You'll be ready for that. So why preach? Because Christ is coming to judge everyone and establish his kingdom. Well, what do you preach? Paul says, preach the word. Now, there are some scholars who argue that the word means the gospel. And I'm okay with that as long as you define the gospel in the broadest possible terms to include the full counsel of God. Uh, you remember in, second, in 1 Corinthians 2 where Paul says, I determined to preach nothing among you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. Read the book. He talks about lawsuits among Christians, immorality in the church, church discipline, uh, supporting Christian workers, all kinds of subjects, eating meat, sacrifice to idols. All of that is under the banner of the gospel. And... Uh, in, in the original text, as I said, there is no chapter break here. And that means that in verse 16 of chapter 3, he says, All Scripture 
is inspired by God, profitable for teaching. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, he uses a related word, instruction. And so a preacher has to take and explain the doctrines of the Bible as they relate to God's people so that the idea, and this has been my goal in every single sermon for the last four, 42 years, when I'm done preaching, I want you to be able to look at the biblical text in its context and say, ah, I understand that now and I see how it applies to my life. So I always have those two goals, to make the Word of God clear and to show here's what it means to you and to me. The word preach means to herald. The herald was the king's spokesman. Back then they didn't have media, tweets or uh, TV or whatever. And so when the king had a message for his constituents, he would send out a herald. And the herald would go out and he had to give the king's message verbatim. He couldn't botch it up. He, couldn't, he wasn't a spin doctor. Say, well, I think he means this. You know, he, he wasn't a politician or a diplomat. He was to faithfully proclaim the king's message to the king's people so they understood it. And even so, our message is the word of God. So the message needs to come out of the text and be governed by the text. And there's a sad lack of that in America today, as I already alluded to. One time, years ago, it was back in cassette tape days, I got a set of tapes on the best of, and then, I won't tell you who, but it was a very well-known preacher, famous preacher. And in every message, he would use the Bible as kind of a loose framework for something, and then he would leapfrog off of that, tell a bunch of inspiring stories, and really never explain and apply the text in its context. And that was the best of the guy's sermons, according to the label on the set. Um, you know, I think you could have taken out all the Bible verses, sent it to Reader's Digest, and it would have been a, a great self-help article in Reader's Digest, not much lacking for taking the Bible out of it. He wasn't dealing with the text of Scripture. Um, scripture, according to chapter 3, verse 15, gives us the wisdom that leads to salvation. And then as Paul goes on, he says it equips everyone for every good work. So, again, it gives the gospel to those who are lost, but it builds up the saints. Those are the two aspects of Scripture. And so our message has to come out of the Bible. It may be inspiring if it doesn't. It may be uplifting. Everybody may go out with a warm feeling. Oh, that story really moved me. But it won't be life-changing. Because God uses His Word through His Spirit. He uses His Word to transform hearts. <clears throat> I don't agree with much of the theology of uh, Karl Barth, the German theologian, but there was a story about him that I greatly admire. During the 1930s, uh, Dr. Barth was preaching on John 3.16. Even though many in his uh, German congregation professed to believe in Christ, they were at the same time sympathetic with Hitler's persecution of the Jews. 
Well, Bart made the point in the sermon that Jesus was a Jew and the apostles were Jews, that Jesus had died for all the world and that the Jews were part of that world. And therefore, Bart said, anyone who loves Christ cannot persecute the Jews. Some of his congregation were so angry that they got up and stormed out in the middle of his sermon. And one person wrote a scathing letter denouncing him. And Bart's reply was a single short sentence. Here's what he said. It was in the text. It was in the text. And I have used that many, many times. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. I'm just reporting to you what the Bible says. Now, that kind of preaching takes some courage because people aren't going to like you. But you can't pull your punches. You have to be patient and gentle. But you have to say, this is the king's message, folks. Here's what the sovereign of the universe says. And we can't bury that message. It's in the text. So, why preach? We preach because Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead, and he's going to establish his kingdom. What do we preach? We preach the king's message, the word. Well, then, when do we preach it? Well, Paul says, be ready to preach the word at every opportunity. Be ready in season and out of season. And the idea is don't play around at preaching. It has to be a life-consuming passion, <clears throat> And we're never off duty. All of a man's life, all of his walk with God go into a sermon. Because biblical preaching is God's truth imparted through a man of God. And that word be ready implies, again, a sense of urgency. The picture there, I think, is a paramedic unit. And they're always ready. Second that buzzer goes off, they, they move into action because somebody's dying. And they need to get to that person's side with first aid. And <clears throat> even so, souls are perishing without Christ. And Christians are strained from the fold. And so whether it's a wedding, a funeral, a sermon, an opportunity, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever, the Word of God is to be what we impart to others. Back in the 18th century, there was an evangelical preacher named John Berridge. And the Anglican bishop called him in and reproved him for preaching at all hours and every day of the week. You were only supposed to do it, you know, on set times. And um, Berridge replied, my Lord, I only preach at two times. Well, what are those, Mr. Berridge? The uh, bishop pushed him, and he said, in season and out of season, my Lord. He was always ready. And then finally, Paul says, how do you preach it? Well, you preach the word with application to life. Verse 2, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So biblical preaching should show people where their lives are not in line with God's truth and help them make the necessary corrections to be able to obey that truth consistently. Uh, Martin Luther put it like this. He said, always preach in such a way that if the people listening do not come to hate their sin, they will instead hate you. Now to do this, <clears throat> Paul says, first of all, a preacher has to appeal to the reason of the hearers. That's the word reprove. 
It's a legal term that meant to convince your opponent of his error or of the truth of your position. Uh, And so a preacher has to present his case in a logically convincing manner from the Word so that hearers are persuaded what Scripture says is right, even if their behavior is wrong. And um, you don't bypass the intellect and just appeal to the emotions with wonderful stories. You have to appeal to the mind because Scripture is to transform our minds, the renewing of our minds. The Holy Spirit's task is to reprove the world. It's the same Greek word there in John 16, where when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I believe He does that largely through biblical preaching, where the preacher is Spirit-filled. Not only, though, must we appeal to the mind, also, he says, the preacher must make an appeal to the conscience of the hearers. And that's the word rebuke. And the moral aspect of preaching always comes in to say, you know, you're sinning against the holy God and you need to repent, to turn around. And we may not like that kind of preaching, but we need it. Because all of us are prone to wander off the path to go astray. And there's just too much feel-good preaching today where You know, a preacher's afraid to confront sin because he doesn't want to offend someone. Even though he was liberal in his theology, William Barclay rightly said, any teacher whose teaching tends to make men think less of sin is a menace to Christianity and to mankind. Then thirdly, a preacher must make an appeal to the will and the emotions of the hearers, and that's implied in that word exhort. It means strongly encouraging someone to right behavior. Um, But it's got that emotional, that that word, sometimes it means to comfort. Sometimes it means to kind of strongly rebuke someone. Some people need rebuke and some need encouragement. You have to be careful not to mix them up. If you rebuke someone who needs encouragement, they're going to get discouraged. On the other hand, if you encourage somebody who needs rebuking, you're going to encourage them to go on in their sin. I've always liked somebody defined the preacher's job as to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. You say, how can you do that when you have a lot of people? Only the Spirit of God can do it, and so you have to daily pray, Lord, Would your spirit take this word and apply it to these people as every person has a different need here today and trust the spirit of God to do it. And so you become the channel for the spirit's working when you appeal, Paul says, with great patience and instruction. Uh, People require time to change and they don't always get it first time around. I don't. And so we have to be gracious and Patience doesn't mean tolerating open sin. It does mean that we bear with people's weaknesses. But then you don't just be patient, but you instruct. You come alongside with compassion and say, Brother, sister, here's how to get out of where you're at and where you need to be with the Lord. And so you give biblical instruction. 
So Paul is saying, preaching the word is of utmost importance in light of the coming judgment and kingdom of Jesus Christ. Even great preaching, though, that falls on deaf ears is not going to go anywhere, not be effective. And so the second part of this text is that obediently hearing the word is of utmost importance in view of the, our own sinful propensity to turn away from the truth. And here I'm in verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate, the word literally means they'll heap up for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. In other words, they'll find teachers who tell them what they want to hear, but not what they need to hear. I once heard uh, Stuart Briscoe say in a Sunday school class, he asked the class, what do you do with the commands in the Bible? And a sweet little old lady raised her hand and said, I underlined them in blue. Well, that's nice, I guess, if it calls them to your attention. But of course, the commands of the Bible aren't just to be underlined in blue, they're to be obeyed. And you have to understand, the commands that God gives us in his word are always for our good. Satan comes in and says, God's trying to take away your fun. That's a lie. They are for our good. They are to protect us. They are to bless us when we obey them. And Paul often in the pastoral epistles, 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, mentions sound doctrine or sound words. The word sound comes from a Greek word that we get our word hygienic from. It's just transliterated into English, hygienic. And it means healthy. Health-producing doctrine is sound doctrine. Now, the interesting thing here is Paul contrasts sound doctrine with what people want. They want to have their ears tickled. And he says they will not endure sound doctrine. That's an interesting word, isn't it? You have to endure sound doctrine. I kind of compare it to health food. You know? A lot of health food I wouldn't eat if it weren't healthy. I endure it so that I'll be healthy. Uh, you know, and the Word of God is like that. Sometimes, I don't like it, but I realize, yeah, that's for my good. That's for my health. I don't know why God may, didn't make broccoli unhealthy and ice cream healthy. You know that? Maybe heaven will be that way. I don't know. But right now, i got to eat my broccoli, and then maybe I can have some ice cream. Um, but Paul warns that people, and the implication is that they, uh, who want to have their ears tickled, um, is people in the church. He says they're going to turn aside from the truth. He's assuming there is such a thing as absolute spiritual truth, which our age denies. And turn aside to myths, that is, the religious ideas of men as opposed to God's revelation in the Bible. And the propensity of sinful human hearts is always to turn away from God's truth and buy into the world's baloney that it markets quite freely. So preachers face a powerful temptation. People can go down the street 
and hear a popular preacher giving out all kinds of spiritual ice cream. Oh, it tastes good. It feels good. It's wonderful. Ah, oh, yeah, man, I love it. But if that's your steady diet, you're going to get sick. And, and so if you want to be liked, it's hard to say, you know what? You need to eat your broccoli. It's kind of like parenting, isn't it? You want your kids to like you? Uh, here's some ice cream, kids. You're going to have unhealthy kids. If you want your kids to really like you when they grow up, you say, eat your broccoli. It's good for you. You need to eat it. So don't judge Dave's preaching or anybody else's preaching you here by whether you like it or not. Judge it by saying, is he teaching what the Word of God says? Wow, if that's what the Bible says, I need to eat it. It's good for me. So over the years, I've tried to serve up the broccoli, but also the ice cream. And the Bible, thankfully, does have both. It's got the parts that, yeah, God loves me. Wow, that feels good. Thank God that's in there. His grace is abundant. Thank God that's in there. But one reason for preaching verse by verse through the Bible, just taking a book of the Bible and working through it is, it balances the ice cream and the broccoli. You know, there's good, healthy stuff. Uh, and then there's that stuff we go, oh boy, that tastes good. Thank you, Lord. And you need both. And I gently try as I work through the text to confront sin with God's truth, but then to show here's God's abundant grace for sinners and how that's going to feed our souls. But as I said, my job's only half the task. Your job is endure sound doctrine. It's good for you. And not reject the broccoli and just go find a place that serves up ice cream. And there are plenty of them around. So come each Sunday saying, Lord, give me ears to hear your word and a heart to obey your word. Open my mind to wonderful truth from your word. Maybe the confronts where I'm off. I need that to grow. Now, what if people then don't listen? Well, Paul goes on in verse 5. And he shows Timothy that perseverance in preaching the word is required in view of inevitable opposition. He says, but you, in contrast to the ticklers of the ears, but you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, <clears throat> do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And so he's saying, when people won't listen to the word, don't change your message, keep preaching God's word of truth. And that means sometimes the man of God has to go against the flow, even the Christian flow. And Paul gives four commands in verse 5 that show Timothy how to conduct his ministry even when people are resistant. First, be sober. And literally in Greek it means don't be drunk. Don't be drunk. People get intoxicated with all the winds of false doctrine that are blowing, and it's easy for a preacher to follow them and go, oh yeah, yeah, this is wonderful. Recent truth that's been discovered that nobody else before has found. Look out. It's probably not. And so Paul is saying, when people get drunk with the world, you're the designated driver. You, you stay sober and stay on, tack, on track with the word. Second, endure hardship. Because if you preach God's truth, you're going to catch flack. Um, 
Harry Ironside was a famous preacher in the first half of the 20th century, and he said that sometimes he received letters from people, invariably people he didn't know personally. He was pastor of the large Moody Church in Chicago for a while. But he'd get these letters, and the people would say, I resent your personal attack on me last Sunday. I don't know who, I, I don't like your preaching, and I don't think you had any right to expose me in the way you did, and I don't know who has been talking to you about me. And then he said, invariably, they closed the letter by saying, it's not true. And uh, Ironside responded by quoting someone who said, you know, if you throw a stone into a pack of dogs and one of them yelps, you know which one got hit. But when you preach God's truth, you're going to get opposition. And so, endure hardship. And then thirdly, do the work of an evangelist. So don't get sidetracked by critics and get off track from preaching the gospel that transforms the lives of unbelievers and that builds up the saints. The gospel is how God saves sinners. The gospel is how God sanctifies the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, There is something essentially wrong with a man who calls himself a Christian and who can listen to a truly evangelistic sermon without coming under conviction again, without feeling something of his own unworthiness and rejoicing when he hears the gospel remedy being presented. So be sober, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and finally, fulfill your ministry. Paul's saying, don't bail out and go into an easier line of work. And it is difficult being a pastor. Yes, or Friday, I had a call from a pastor in Indiana who gets my sermons, and he wanted permission to quote something. And uh, as we chatted, I told him I was retiring, which he didn't know. And he said, you know, he had just read that only 5% of men who begin their career, if you want to call it that, as pastors, complete as pastors at the end of their lives. Only 5%. And so Paul is saying in verse 7, follow me in fighting the good fight of faith. And it is a battle, but you need to finish your course. Many years ago in California, I was going through a time of unusual attack on my ministry, and Marla and I, on a day off, were driving somewhere, probably somewhere to hike, which is my way to decompress, and we got stopped by road construction, and we were sitting there waiting, and I was watching this guy driving his bulldozer, and I thought, you know, that looks like a nice line of work. <laughs> you know, the dirt never talks back. The guy just gets in his bulldozer in the morning and he pushes all that dirt and he shuts that baby off and he goes home and he's done. He gets his paycheck. That sounds pretty good. And of course, then I thought, no, no, I can't bail out. Can't bail out. And uh, Calvin makes the point in his commentary that rather than giving up because of opposition and Calvin knew what he was talking about, he caught plenty of it. He said, the more the opposition, the more vigorously we have to fight to ward off Satan's attacks on the church. So don't give up. Preaching is a battle because the souls of people are in the balance. But fight that good fight. Defend the gospel against all attacks. 
So Dave, this morning I'm handing you the baton and uh, I'll be there to support you, but your main job is faithfully preach the Word of God no matter what kind of opposition you encounter. I hope here you don't encounter much. And church, and I'm including myself because I'm part of the church, our job is to hear the Word of God with hearts eager to obey. But let me say this, Phillips Brooks defined preaching as truth poured through personality. And that means this, Dave is not Steve, and Steve is not Dave, and that's all by the good design of God. And so don't compare him to me and expect him to be me. He's going to be who God made him. And we're here to rally around and support him and encourage him and pray for him. And as we respond with receptive hearts, God will grow the church spiritually and hopefully numerically as well. And somebody asked me how I would feel if the ministry thrives more under Dave than it did under me. And I'd, I said, it's not my church and it's not Dave's church. I'll rejoice. It's the Lord's church. And we're all on the same team. And so I'll be on the sidelines cheering if a touchdown happens and saying, go for it. Great. Paul goes on and he says in verse 6 of our text, the time of my departure has come. And, you know, he means his death. And that's true of all of us, isn't it? Uh, none of us know when the time of our departure will come. But we do know this. It's pretty certain it will come. And we'll all stand before the righteous judge on that day to give an account of our lives. And so it's essential that our pastor makes it his priority to preach God's word, and that we listen with ears to hear and hearts to obey. And then on that great day when we all stand before the Lord, each of us will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercy and grace to us all. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, even when we get frustrated or sin or have issues that we have to battle, that you're our faithful and merciful Father. Lord, I pray for any here who don't know your grace. They are lost and without you in this world. Show them the emptiness of their current condition. Show them their need to repent. Show them that without you there is no hope beyond the grave. And Father, bring them to genuine saving faith in Jesus. Pray for your saints. If any of them here are discouraged, that today they would be encouraged to spend time daily in your word that if any of them are in sin, your word would confront them and bring them back. That your Holy Spirit would take it and apply it to every heart. And I lift up my brother Dave and ask that you would give him your spirit in full measure and your anointing that we all would benefit through his ministry in our midst.
pray in Jesus' name. Amen.